0: Good morning. My name is Lynn and I'm an alcoholic. Lyle, I would like to get you out of your misery immediately. I'm 54 years old. (laughs) Now we can get on with the show, Lyle. Very well. I, um, I am just so thrilled to be here this morning and I can't wait to go to all the meetings and learn from you and Share this weekend in in love with this higher power and all of us and all of you. It's just a wonderful, wonderful experience. I'm so grateful for Dapper Ron to uh, invite me to share with you this weekend. And it is so undeserved. Uh, If you're new today, I want to let you know that there is nothing special about me. Uh, I'm at the microphone today. Uh, while someone else is making the coffee, and next week that person will be at the microphone, and I will be making the coffee. So it just happens to be my turn today. And I want to thank Don for his emails and his calls throughout the last few months, and keeping in touch with me and taking such good care of me. Thank you so much. And Marianne, of course, we... Um, we had this one-hour conversation the first time we ever talked, and we were instant friends. And when she asked me uh, how do we recognize each other, and I was not sure what to say, uh, because not too long ago I had an experience where the person picking me up was a man, and he said, "I look like a leprechaun." <laughs> And so I thought, the poor man. So I get to the airport and I recognize him. (laughs) So I acted like I didn't and waited for him to recognize me. And I was safe from having to validate his thought that he did look like a leprechaun but I didn't have such predicament yesterday. Um, Anyway, I am so grateful to have this commitment. I love my commitments in Alcoholics Anonymous. I love to pepper my calendar with them. They make me feel grounded in my sobriety. And although what we have is a daily uh, program um, I, I am here for the long haul, and I never, ever want to go back where I come from. And some of you who are new today may look at me and think she could not possibly be an alcoholic, and so if you would please allow me, and I would like to share a few stories with you, and we should be able to erase all doubts. <coughs> um I drank quite a bit. Uh, that That's why I'm here today. I remember, and I love to bar hop, um, and of course I would get drunk before I get to the bar because I just felt so terrible about myself and did not like the way that I felt sober. And so uh, I'm in this bar and being totally uh disrespectful and inappropriate, and I had this uh crush on this man, and um, uh, he tried to get away from me, and <laughs> so I continued to drink, and then decided I would go to the other bar so I could find him. You know, it's always happening somewhere else. It's never, never where I am. And so I go to this other bar and I drink some more and then I'm leaving and who do I see but the guy who got away earlier. And I was just so happy to see him and told him so. And somehow I had my shoes and my hands and Don would have, Ron would have taken care of those shoes for me for sure. And uh, he scooped me up and put me in his car, romantic. He took me to his place and the next morning he said, by the way, I'm not the guy you think I am. I couldn't pass up the opportunity. (laughs) Boys will be boys. (laughs) And so I spent three days with them, (laughs) getting to know each other. (laughs) And the tragedy of all of this is, I had so little going on for myself at the time, that whatever that complete stranger had to offer me, it was better than what I had going on for myself. I come from a very, very sick place. As far back as I remember being a a young child, I was afraid. I was uncomfortable. I was afraid of the dark, of my parents, of the teachers, uh, the other little girls. I knew no one liked me. I didn't belong here. I felt different. I was very self conscious. Um, I had horrible nightmares. I was shy. And I look at pictures of myself when I was little, and my head is bowed, and I'm not smiling, and I'm just like afraid. And so when I was 13, I went to a little party with the girls and bought six beers. And before I was halfway through that first beer, All those fears went away. And I was comfortable in my gut where I lived. I could be jolly with the little girls. I didn't care what they thought of me. We just laughed and giggled. And I blacked out. I went to get my last beer. They told me my best friend Susan drank my beer. I found her and I slapped her in the face. (laughs) This is not social drinking. First time out, and I eventually passed out, and I came to in the morning, and there was a boy next to me, which started a pattern that remained with me (laughs) throughout my drinking career, (laughs) and I felt ashamed and guilty, and oh my gosh, what did I do, and I couldn't wait to drink again. Drinking was the solution to my problem until drinking became my problem. But for a long time, it worked very, very well. I could maintain an appearance with you. I could be comfortable. I could go out. I couldn't wait to have that moment of relief where this here would stop to tell me how terrible of a person I am and I could just be with you. I love to drink Unfortunately, I always overshot the mark. (laughs) Always got drunk. And um, I got into a lot of trouble with that drinking. And I thought, well, maybe if I got educated, I could be happy. And by the time I was 24 years old, I had a license to practice law. And I drank more. If only I went to California, I could be happy. So I drove from Quebec, Canada to California and I drank more. If only I had a young, handsome boyfriend, I'd be happy. I found him and we drank together. If only there was a big house and he proceeded to get the big house and the Porsche and a motorhome. And if only I had a cleaning lady, I would be happy. And I got the cleaning lady and I supervised her work with a, hand, with a drink in my hand. My outside circumstances are totally irrelevant. I drink because I'm an alcoholic. And what makes me an alcoholic is once I begin to drink, I cannot stop. I never could stop. I know that some of you were able to have some years where you drank socially, where you didn't get in trouble. I always drank to get drunk. I don't, if you told me today, Lynn, you're not really an alcoholic, you could have two drinks. Two drinks, why bother? I don't like the taste of it. And I so related to Lyle's story yesterday, those feelings, those horrible feelings. And no matter how much we don't want to drink today, we drink anyway. And no matter how much, I would tell me I'll have just two. Today I'm going to have just two. Just two drinks. And would you know, it's noon, and I start to salivate, and I can't wait till 4 o'clock for the Carol Burnett show. And you have to have some wine with the Carol Burnett. That's how long ago this was. <laughs> and then you, you got to have wine to cook dinner, and then he'd come home, and we'd have more drinks together. And then I'd pick a fight, something, so I could go back to the bar and finish my drunk. And then I'd come home, 2, 3 o'clock in the morning now. There is nothing that good out there that you can do till 3 a.m. after the bar closes. It's very trippy to try to come up with a good excuse. And then I try to come home quietly, and I trip up the alarm system. And, you know, I'm not going to do it tomorrow. And I come to, and my throat was parched. And I felt sick and I'd throw up till about noon and my head pounding and oh my gosh, I did it again. I did it again. And today I'm gonna have just two. Only two. And would you know, four o'clock there goes the Carol Burnett show again. It was Monday through Friday. And I got in so much trouble. And I'm not sure why this relationship with this man didn't work out, except one time I I slept with his best friend. Now I did not like him. But that particular evening, I was in the bar, and I was too drunk to make it home, and I needed a ride, and he was the man next to me. And he took me to his place, and the next morning, his girlfriend found us, and she was my boyfriend's secretary. That's really tacky, that's right. And so three days later, I got a call from her, And she said, all your stuff has been put in trash bags. Come and pick it up at the office. And I did. And I rented a room in a sleazy two-bedroom apartment. I was sleeping on the floor in a sleeping bag. My clothes were on the floor, and I lived like an animal. And the only answer I had was, i got to get back into this house. I had no self-esteem, no sense of responsibility, no social skills, No self-worth. I had to get back to that man. I could not make decisions for myself. And I had learned how to reseal Mexican tiles, and he had lots of beautiful tiles like that in that home. And so I called him up, and I said, I will reseal your tiles for free. He said, great. So the next morning I showed up. With the chemicals and the grubbies and the knee pads and knocked on the door and good morning. And so I got on my knees and I started to scrub and he went to the office. And uh, of course I proceeded to drink and scrub those floors and he came home at five o'clock and he asked me to leave and I did. And I was so ashamed of the way that I lived that I didn't want to go to that little apartment in case that roommate would be there and she could look at me and see how I really lived. And I was hoping she never opened the door to my bedroom to see all my things on the floor. And so um, I slept in my car that night. And I came to in the morning, and there is nothing worse than the sound of happy children at the bus stop waiting to go to school. (laughs) And my head was throbbing, and I was very confused, and so I just drank some more vodka. And I went back to the house, knocked on the door, good morning, and went in and started scrubbing the floors again. And that day they were having a party. They were going to play tennis in the backyard. And the friends began to arrive, including that man I'd slept with, and they'd look down at me highland, and they would go in the backyard to play tennis. And some of those people had invited me to their homes for their special events, and I had them into my home for my fancy dinner parties, but that day I was not wanted, and I wanted to crawl, crawl into a hole. And finally in the afternoon, these people left, and I found myself alone with that man who had loved me, who had wanted to marry me, and I was on the floor, and he was having sex with me, trying not to touch me. And this was my moment of clarity. You know, they they talk in meetings about moments of clarity like it's a good thing. (laughs) I will, unfortunately... Never, ever forget the look of utter disgust and contempt in that man's eyes looking down at me. And I went back to that little apartment after he asked me to leave. And I proceeded to drink the whole weekend, but I couldn't get drunk no matter how much I drank. I was sober from the neck up. I failed to achieve relief from that pitiful condition. I saw myself as I was. I could not black out. I could not pass out. And on Monday morning, I reached out for the bottle of vodka, and it wouldn't stay down. And then I had a half a beer to calm my nerves a little bit, and I called Alcoholics Anonymous. And the gentleman said, oh, you want to stop drinking? I said, no, no, no. (laughs) I, I just want to learn how to have five or six and then stop. I said, it's after that that I get in all this trouble. And he said, well, you're not ready for us. When you want to stop drinking, you call us back. And he hung up. Well, if you're new, the day that Alcoholics Anonymous hangs up on you is a bad day. (laughs) We are really the last house on the block. <laughs> and so during the next hour or so, it got quiet in my head. And what I heard was Lynn, you're done with drinking. There is nothing left in this for you. So I called back Alcoholics Anonymous. And he said, Oh, great, we'll have someone call you who lives in your area. So that lady called me and we talked a bit. And I hardly remember what we said except she said, Would you like to go somewhere? I said, Well, yes, I'm a traveler. I love going places. And I thought they would take me to the La Costa Resort and I could use the mud bath and the massages. I was tired. This was like $3,000 a week in those days and thought I would send a bill to my ex who was wealthy, no problem. So I <laughs> eagerly accepted the proposition. So she said, pack a few clothes, my husband, and I will pick you up in 20 minutes. Well, they did, and they took me to detox downtown. <laughs> so I was disappointed. <laughs> but I stayed. And the miracle of Alcoholics Anonymous began for me that day. I'll never be able to explain this, how my life drastically changed that day, and I never returned to the old life. And they gave me the 20 questions, just like, Lyle, I'm good with tests, too. And I thought, gosh, I've taken some very difficult tests in my life. This is going to be easy. And indeed, I got 17 right the first time I took it. (laughs) And so the man there said, you're an alcoholic? I said, I know. He looked at me, and he said, this is no joke. You really are an alcoholic? I said, I know. He said, what's so happy about this? And I said, finally, someone is telling me what's wrong with me. I had thought myself a lot worse things than being an alcoholic, especially because of the promiscuity. And uh, you're telling me that there are other people like me who have done those things, who have lived with the secrets and the shame and the guilt, and that now they can be sober and happy. This was the best news I had heard in a long, long time. And if you are new today, welcome to Alcoholics Anonymous. We may not be what you expected, but I'll tell you that we love you. And we want nothing but give you what was so freely given to us. So you too may have a joyous, not so glum. <laughs> sober life with the rest of us. We only want to share with you our experience with the steps of Alcoholics Anonymous so you have a chance to have this wondrous life. This is the only good life I have ever known, and you gave it to me. It is so much more than just not drink, but some work needs to be done. Uh, if you do not have a big book of Alcoholics Anonymous, I beg you to please go see the literature person. And by the way, see the little Alanon shops. I love Alanon shopping and convention. They have the cutest little things. I have all sorts of knickknacks at home and today they have keychains. At <laughs> uh, the other place they had like God boxes. And another place they had those little bags where you can put a lipstick. A bikini, <laughs> the hotel card, and a place for your tag. This is so al I just love, love your gift. You know? Although I don't know if they bring their bikinis. <laughs> That's more an alcoholic woman type of thing. <laughs> and so this big book. Is by far the most important book that I have ever read, and that's where our program is. You do not need to rely upon us when we tell you about the big book. You can read it yourself, and I believe everything that's in that big book, except On page 24 or 25, it is said that we were rocketed into the fourth dimension. Well, I was not rocketed anywhere. (laughs) I was more like oozed into it (laughs) over a period of 10 to 15 years. But without the program of Alcoholics Anonymous, I would not have gone anywhere. I would certainly not be here today. And you must read the big book because it's got fine prints and all sorts of little secrets that we usually don't tell you about, but I will reveal a couple today. Uh, like on page 133, 134, and I know that Mary Lou or Mary Lewis who prepared those wonderful baskets, my place looked like there was a huge party last night and little, um, squirrels that just went and opened up all the little bags and it's got chocolate. But in the big book, in that page, it said, every alcoholic should have chocolate by their side at all times for a quick fix of energy. So I always have chocolate by my side. Thank you, Mary, so much. And then it talks about um, we are not supposed to pray for selfish things. Well, there is a little trick around to this. A few years ago, I wanted a new motorcycle. And so I ask a girlfriend of mine to pray that I get the motorcycle. (laughs) And I got it. So if you talk to your sponsor, they have the little morsel, tender, sweet morsels for you. However, I must tell you that sponsor... You may want to explore all other avenues before you call them because they are (laughs) very unpredictable. You just don't know. Like this one time I was managing a real estate office, and I'm not a manager of people. I have bad judgment. I'm a people pleaser, and I'm paranoid. And so... Within about three months, I had everybody mad at me. I was resenting them. I had a nut here in my gut where I live, and I just didn't want to go there anymore. So I, called, I talked to my sponsor on Thursday night. She said, well, in your prayers tonight, ask your higher power to show you how you can help them be comfortable with you. Oh, that's a good twist. I did that, and the next day I was fired. <laughs> They had been praying, too. (laughs) So on Friday, I called her and I said, I don't like your prayers, (laughs) but I need another one real quick. And so she said, pray for the perfect job and the patience to wait for it. And this, those hard economic times... It's so important, my goodness, to be in that little bubble, to know that everything's going to be okay, because if we look outside, nothing's going to be okay. (laughs) And so I'm so grateful that today we have a place to go inside and out with you so we can have this safe bubble, uh, regardless of what's going on around us. And so... um, This was on a Friday, and the Wednesday before that, there was a message at Homeland. This is Eileen with legal staff, and we know you have a great job. You haven't been registered with us for months, but we have this opportunity as a legal assistant, and we thought we'd let you know. Well, on Wednesday, this doesn't look like a very smart career move. I had had a license to practice law. I was managing a real estate office to be a legal assistant. Then I had this little dog that I, I was afraid I could not maintain in the lifestyle in which I have accustomed her to. <laughs> and so on Wednesday, I had no interest, but by Friday, I had a sudden change of attitude. <laughs> and so I called her and I said, Eileen guess what happened and I told her and she admitted to me that she was a very religious person and she said Lynn this is spooky I don't even know why I called you in the first place so to the dismay of that owner who just fired me on Friday on Monday I went to work for this law firm and I knew nothing about a reporting letter Uh, they just were hiring anybody they could because intellectual property just started and there were not enough of us. And so they trained me, and this is still what I'm doing now, 10 years later. Um, and I'm making a good living at this in spite of myself because I was not going to go. And I even started my own little business as an IP paralegal, and one of my clients offered me a full-time job, and I saw so love my colleagues that I accepted the job, and I kept uh, one of my clients where I work on Saturday from home and in the evening sometimes and I work too much and I don't have to but I lack like money. <laughs> <laughs> Especially my husband's. <laughs> <laughs> but um, it's all a matter of balance but it's, it's a very good life and when you took me in on June 21st, 1982, I had no idea what would happen to me I was so afraid and if you had told me the wondrous journey the adventures the spiritual growth the relationship with this higher power I would not have believed you when I was laying on that floor if you are new I beg you to stay with us long enough so you can start to feel the way we look to you today so, you can revel in that laughter once you go home alone that it stays with you. If you just stay with us long enough, those feelings will get better and better. I remember being angry, joyful, excited, desperate, mad again, breaking up, starting over, and it'd been an hour and a half. <laughs> That's why meetings are so important, at least for that one hour, I get a relief. That one hour I get a relief. Um, and in my sobriety, there have been, of course, some ebbs and lows. And I remember in my fifth year, um, I had literally holes in my shoes. The man I was dating broke up with me, telling me everything that was wrong with me, and he was right. Uh, No matter how hard my efforts to get a good job, I couldn't get anything decent. I found out I hated my mother. I had a resentment towards my father. I felt totally alone, separate. I could not connect with anyone. And um, I was very angry. And so I woke up that morning in a ball under the blanket, and I didn't want to go anymore. And for five years, I... I'd done everything you told me to do. The first year, a meeting a day. I was making then four meetings a week thereafter, sponsored, commitments, doing all the footwork. And I would look at you, and you'd be going to Europe. And then you'd get a promotion, and you'd get married, meet nothing. And so I went to a meeting anyway that morning because that's the way you treat you trained me. And I felt a little bit better. And someone there said, so many times you cheered me up. So I felt a little bit better. And then I went to that little job data entry all day and talking to my higher power. And then I went to the beach afterwards and I said, listen, we gotta have a talk. I know that there are some people who are very happy in chastity and obedience and poverty, but it ain't me. <laughs> I have not taken any vows. In fact, I sort of want to have everything. You have me confused with someone else. And I have been an illegal alien for a few years. I thought maybe my father got lost in the shuffle. You know, woo-hoo, you take care of all your other little kids. How about me? And once again, it came in my head to be very quiet. Your primary purpose as an alcoholic is to be sober. And you have done that consistently for five years. I love you and I'm pleased with you. And to carry the message whenever requested. And you have done that to the best of your ability. I love you. And that was truly my third step. My life is no longer all about me. Sometimes it's about just being a channel for God's will to occur, for me to love, to make myself available. Um, The language of the heart really touched me. If you would please allow me to read that to you. It's inside your pamphlet and it says, language of the heart. It occurs to me that every aspect of this global unfoldment can be related to a single crucial word. The word is communication. There has been a life-saving communication among ourselves with the world around us and with God. From the beginning, communication in AA has been no ordinary transmission of helpful ideas and attitudes. It has been unusual and sometimes unique. Because of our kinship in suffering and because our common means of deliverance are effective for ourselves only when constantly carried to others, our channels of contact have always been charged with the language of the heart, except with my husband. (laughs) I was single, Lyle, until I was 52 years old. And fairly happily so. This is a great cruise ship for single people. (laughs) We always have something to do. If we're lonely, we can go to a meeting. If we're afraid, we can go to a meeting. We can go to dances, to conventions. We can find Mr. Perhaps or (laughs) Miss Wright. I hope you're having a great time, This the social ice cream. I mean, there is no way for us, if we want to, to be alone and distraught in Alcoholics Anonymous as a single person. And we have the service work. We want a hug. We don't have to start a relationship. We can go to a meeting <laughs> or get a little dog or a cat like John did. Um but being married, I know now why I waited so long. I was right. <laughs> I was right. It's so difficult. The, the love thing, the language of the heart. See, when my husband said, would you marry me? I look back and there was a beautiful single cruise ship with all the, the adventures and the fun and the broken heart once in a while, but it's worth it. And then I'm on that plank. Then I look at the little boat of married people out in the ocean, and the sharks chum 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 chum. I said, "All righty," I pinch my nose and I dove in. See, lovers come and go, and that's the wonderful thing about them, you know. <laughs> but my husband comes home every night. <laughs> And I wake up in the morning, and here he is. (laughs) It's like husbands don't have anywhere to go. (laughs) And I mean, this is day after day after day. And sometimes I just get tired of being married. (laughs) You know it's twisting to me because I love to be married to this wonderful man, but I have a slight preference for being alone. <laughs> it's very difficult. And when I don't want to talk, I don't want to talk. And if I'm mad with a lover, I split. But if I'm home with a husband, I have to find a different way. And thank goodness for the steps of Alcoholics Anonymous and my very Patient sponsor because I'm a difficult person to be with. I have those old ways of thinking, and I'm supposed to practice the language of the heart when he's wrong. (laughs) We just had a spat recently that lasted for five weeks. Well, I was right. And after five weeks he admitted it that I had been right. And so I won. But after all was said and done, I thought this is like winning a swimming competition in a sewage ditch. (laughs) No? I have to let go or be dragged. And on and on and on. And so I take another uh, 10-step, 4-step, whatever. And I had like 13, 14 resentments against my husband. I met with my sponsor. And next to that, there were 17 of my shortcomings. This is very humbling. And I just get feeling like this is hopeless. I'm never going to make this. And so of course I made some very generous amends to him and that and then I was in love all over again. But now I know I've got amends coming my way, you know? <laughs> they talk about expectations. So I thought, Oh, it's gonna be so sorry that he's done that to me and maybe he'll get on one knee you know and give me a big hug and say how sorry and maybe he'll write a check i love those type of a man you know <laughs> never mind living a man just write me a check honey i'll be happy with this and it's been two weeks and nothing so i said weren't you supposed to meet with your sponsor that was before my alan and days and he said, well, he's been out of town. So I give it another two weeks, nothing. I said, he's been in t- out of town for a long time. So a couple of weeks later, I said, wait a minute. I said, honey, yesterday, when you said you had been selfish, was that your man? He said, yep. I said, that's puny. <laughs> it's so hard to stay out of their business. It's so difficult. And so I call my sponsor, and often I make those call your sponsor before you talk to him phone calls. Oh, thank goodness. he was. I overheard him make plane reservation, and for some reason, it just ticked me off. So I'm listening to this, and I'm stewing. So I thought, let's make one of those phone calls. I take my cell phone, I go outside, and I said to my sponsor, woof, 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 woof. <laughs> She said, honey... This is not a big deal. You've been single all your life. He's been divorced 11 years. You're both independent, and you're both learning to be more open with each other. I said, you don't understand. (laughs) (laughs) And she said, you're right. He was a little bit inconsiderate, but this is no big deal. I don't want you to go back in there and take 15 minutes and present your case to the Supreme Court. All right. She said, you love him? Yep. Said, all right. Can you go back in there? Two sentences. Very nice. Said, honey, I happen to have overheard you. Next time I'd appreciate if you told me first and I love you. How does that sound? Said, wow, that sounds all grown up. So, I'm already feeling superior to him. <laughs> I'm getting this thing. And so uh, I said, yes, I can do that. She said, great. So I'm practicing on the way back home while I'm walking. Honey, I overheard. Love you. Next time on the free sheet. So I opened the door. I said, honey, where were you? I said, I was talking to my sponsor, and she said, you're inconsiderate. <laughs> so I burped. And when I burp like that, it sets up a series of events that takes three weeks to repair. So that's when I really wish it had somewhere else to go so I could get a little break. And this particular time, I thought, I'm going to have a romantic weekend alone with my little dog. That was my solution to the problem. This is on Friday, so I went online. I found a little hotel right on the beach where they took little dogs. I thought, we can take walks, I'll go to lots of meetings, I'll bring books, so I'm just going to go home, leave him a note, take Misty, and we're going to get away for the weekend. So I called my sponsor, Mistake. (laughs) She said, honey, tonight you're going to go to the couples meeting. We do that every Friday night. It's AA Allen. We've been going there for two and a half years, and it's saving our marriage and I said, no, I'm not going because blah, blah, blah. Woo, 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 woo. <laughs> and she said, honey, you're going to the couples meeting. I'm not driving with them. You take your own car. Okay, okay. She said, I said, well, I'm not going to be sitting with them. I said, honey, you're going to sit with them like all the other couples. All righty. But I better not say anything because if I do, it's going to be negative. You don't have to share. Well, I didn't go to my romantic weekend with my little dog, and I went to the couples meeting, and, you know, this, the day was saved. But that's how I get so tired because I do so much work. And the character defects that hurt our marriage the most is my anger. I have a temper and a short fuse, and it starts in my toes. It's out my mouth in two seconds. I can't help it. <laughs> And uh, so asking my higher power to remove that, the six and seven step, and to admit to him, I'm so sorry, honey, I had another temper. And I mean, because Ralph doesn't have my type of ice cream, I can't believe it. I just have this thing. So for the last two years, with my higher power and my sponsor and all this grace, it's been diminished by about 90%. And I am so grateful. Well, both of us, three of us with my little dog too, we're just so happy. I don't have those tantrums anymore. But now the second one is criticism. Well, this is not a very sexy bone to chew on for the next two years. I just finished with one. And so I thought, wait a minute, what's a, crit- what's a criticism? I mean someone says or does something, and I have a negative reaction to it. And I much prefer blame him to stop doing, saying this, so I don't get the negative reaction. But if he's not doing anything about it, I'm stuck. And so I thought, oh, the language of the heart. Okay, to love him the way he is and to be accepting and take care of my own emotional reaction, which means I become emotionally independent. Wow, now that's fancy. It's, I much, I love to be independent. It gives me again that little bit of superior thing, like I don't need. You know, I always have an ego angle still somewhere. And so this is what I'm working on right now, not to be so critical and to get off that man's back. And I've been working on this for two weeks, and you know, I'm all in love with my husband again. Because I do want to divorce on a quarterly basis, you know? (laughs) And I thought it was a measure on how poorly he treats me. But, no, I found out it's a shortcoming, too, to want to end relationships when they do something we don't want. And so recently, not only with my husband, but also with a colleague at work and one of my sponsees, and uh, it was about lying and betrayal. And this fancy of mine had been lying to me for four months, and she's my little chickadee of the world. I just love her to pieces. And I get a call from her one morning recently, and she said, well, my husband wants a divorce, and this is what I had been doing. And I had no idea, and I was crushed. And so my first thought was, well, I cannot be in a relationship with someone who lies to me. Just like I want to divorce him, you know, if he doesn't do what I want him to do. And so I had a very brief conversation and I I let her say what she needed to say. And I said, I don't know if I can continue sponsoring you. I'm going to have to think about that because obviously I'm not helping you if you don't feel comfortable enough to tell me the truth. And uh, I don't know if I could trust you again, but I'll think about it. And then I called my sponsor, left a message. But this time, without even her guidance, I knew Lynn, the language of the heart, love, love, love. And I knew that I could not abandon her because she might just get drunk. She's been sober only a year and a half. And so I had a conversation with her that day that I've never been able to have before. And I called her back and I said, honey, I love you and I won't abandon you. But I want to tell you I'm upset and I'm disappointed that you've been lying to me. Uh, These are my feelings. And before being a sponsor, I'm a human being and I'm disappointed. And it may take a while before I trust you again, but I will give it a chance. And I love her more today than I did before this happened. I don't understand the language of the heart. And she loves me more than she did. And, oh, boy, is she honest now. (laughs) Oh, boy, I know the whole scoop now. (laughs) And then at the same time, there was a colleague at work, and we've known each other for years, and we've had intimate conversation. And an attorney told me that she had told them, that it was my fault something didn't get done when it was actually hers. He didn't know, but I knew. And again, I felt a little bit betrayed, disappointed, and this is a relationship that I want to quit. So I called my sponsor and I said, I don't need this at work. And I don't need friends like that. I need to step back and change my feelings. And she said, Lynn, love, love, love. This is only ebb and flow in a relationship. I thought, other friends don't lie to their friend. This must be happening just to me. Love, love, love. And that's why I took it. And a couple of weeks later, I hadn't seen her. She came up to me to give me a hug. And normally, people-pleasing, I take the hug. And this time, I just sort of put my hands in front of me, and I said... But I thought that you said this to this person, and oh, no, I didn't, and and I still don't really believe that she didn't, but it was okay. I said my piece, then I could return the hug, and because my sponsor told me, regardless of what you decide to do, Lynn, make sure you always make yourself available to be of service to everybody. And two weeks later she tells me her son is in a treatment center. He's 16 years old. She doesn't know what to do. And so I gave her a couple of uh, names to call. And I gave her son a 30 day chip at our meeting last Monday night. And I took the chip off my keychain, my 25 year chip, because they didn't have a 30 day chip. And the mom was crying. And then she admits to me that her husband is a practicing alcoholic. And I said, sounds like Alanon would be good for you. And I said, you know, I wanted to go for years and I don't seem to fit it in my schedule. And so we've been going to Alanon's together for two weeks. And so if I had gone with my own way of thinking, I would not be sponsoring my little chickadee today and I would not be friends with my colleague and I would not be going to Alanon. And maybe I would not be married to this wonderful husband of mine anymore. And I am so very grateful for what you're doing with me. I cannot do that of my own. All I can be is willing and take an action different than what I would really want to take. Um, This language of the heart has been expanding for me in different ways. Uh, about a year and a half ago or so, my husband is telling me that his two dis- disrespectful teenagers from a previous marriage are gonna come and spend a week with us. <laughs> this was not my idea of a good time. <laughs> and I'm still selfish enough to recognize it. So I said, honey, How would you like some intimate bonding time with your children? He said, That sounds great. I said, Why don't I go somewhere? He said, Sure, where do you want to go? I said, Africa. (laughs) So I booked a tour, an organized tour, and I met them in Nairobi. I was the only North American. And uh, it was just a wonderful experience. And we visited a small school in a Maasai village. Very, very poor, with bare walls. And those children had a cup. and They were waiting for the bowl of beans. That's how they attract them to go to school and walk the two or three miles, is by feeding them a bowl of beans for lunch. And for shoes, they all wear uh sandals that are made with a piece of rubber from a car tire, not processed, just cut out, and it's strapped on their feet. And I walked away, and in my heart, I've got to help them. I just have to help them. And so the bus ride to our camp was about 30 minutes, and these people are on bicycles, so it's quite a distance. And so this is just itching me, no end. So I talked to our guide, and I said, I want to help the school. I'd like to send money every month. How do I get in touch with them? And she said, well, talk to this other guide. So I did, and we rode the bicycle to their office. And, uh, oh, yes, we can help you. And we would take the money ourselves if we have to to hand deliver it. No problem. We do this type of thing. But I was not trusting the process. And so rode back to the camp, and then I said some prayers. And I said, God, if you want me to do this, give me a clear sign. Otherwise, I won't do it. I don't want to have to worry every month if the money is going where it's supposed to go. And so an hour or so later, I decide to walk into the little village. And who do I see on my way back, five minutes before getting off the road, the principal who was at that school that morning on his bicycle coming straight at me. And I had little goose flesh. That was my sign. So I told him what I wanted to do, and we exchanged emails. And I came back home, and I sent him an email. And he said, God Almighty, you are following through with the promise you made to the Maasai children. And so I started sending money, and the first project was an orphan in in Tanzania, The children have access to free education through 7th grade. Then they're on their own. And it costs $300 to start the 8th grade in that dormitory-style school. You have to buy the bed, the desk, and all this. And so most children do not make it to the 8th grade. And so I said, I'll support that child. And then there were two more and two more. And so now I've made a commitment to support five Maasai children through college as long as they do their best to get good grades and I was hoping for a couple of carpenters you know, no, they all want to go to college (laughs) and so uh, I started a non-profit organization, Mina's Kids and um, I'm starting to do fundraising, but I don't like to ask for money, and I'm not a salesperson. So I found that very difficult, but I hope that God will move the right people and the right teachings my way so I know how to do this. And this summer, they all got a bicycle, and they had a celebration with the elders of the tribe as well as the students, the staff, and um the ladies in the village they made special gift for me a bracelet and a necklace with my name on it and they offered me a citizenship to the Maasai tribe for helping educate the Maasai children. And this has been such a heart expanding experience. I love those babies. And we exchange letters and they get their allowance each month and now I'm buying desks for the school. And uh, we have different projects. And so anyway, the language of the heart is, uh, is the way to speak in all circumstances. You know, um, I never, ever thought I could live the life that I live today. I love the woman I am becoming as a result of what you've taught me. I love where I live um, I love my colleagues, the work that I do. There is so much love at so many levels in my life. But, you know, I had to take the steps every day. Uh, Rarely have we seen a person fail who has thoroughly followed our path. And what we have is a daily reprieve. And that daily, is (laughs) was telling John, he was reminding me how, uh, it may be the most important word in the big book of alcoholics anonymous the steps i took last week and the meetings i will attend next week have nothing to do with today today it's my responsibility to water my sobriety garden with the steps of alcoholics anonymous so i will get that reprieve from this thinking mind a reprieve from those feelings and i'll tell you that i have not always been comfortable in my sobriety but I have always been comfortable enough not to drink that day. Comfortable enough. And the next day I feel better. So if you're going to something difficult right now, go to more meetings, call that unpredictable sponsor. <laughs> uh, pick up the big book, pray to this higher power of your own conception. Tomorrow will be different. Tomorrow will be different. Um, if you are new, perhaps you have gone down so low that you don't really believe what I'm sharing with you today, that those that wondrous life and those wonderful feelings might possibly be available to you. Or perhaps you have done such shameful things that you don't believe that this higher power will do business with you. Or perhaps you think that your situation right now Truly is insurmountable, and if it is, I would like to share a little story about my little dog uh, one morning ten years ago now I was going to the pet store to buy food for my cat, and there was a rescue foundation there, and they had ten, twelve boisterous little dogs, and except one little misty uh, she was emaciated, she was missing fur, she was coughing, wheezing, uh flakes coming off. Her skin, she was uh, nut house broken. I uh, put my hand in there and she kissed it. And I started to cry and I said, honey, you're coming home. We'll work it out. And I've picked my men the same way, but that's a, that's a. And so I took that little girl home. And I'll tell you, she loves fresh salmon. (laughs) She has a little wardrobe. In her short life so far, she's had a dietician. She's had a surgeon. She goes to the dentist. (laughs) I have rented private suites for her at pet hotels. She sleeps on my pillow. Uh, Now my husband is doting on her as well. She lives the life of a little princess. Now, for her to have the life that she has today, this is what this wondrous higher power had to do for that little dog. The lady who found her near the Mexican border and took her to the pound, the people who were at the pound to take her in, and Penny, the president of the Rescue Foundation, who goes to the pound every day to get those little dogs, and her, who went to PetSmart along with other volunteers to have the dogs adopted, and me, who passed by and impossibly falling in love with her immediately. And if this higher power could stoop so to save a pathetic nothing Emaciated, nut house broken little dog. What do you think this higher power will do for any one of us? And her problem certainly appeared insurmountable. She has a little nipping problem. She would have been euthanized. And the little nipping problem has been interesting at home because uh, you know I've had my little dog for ten years and my husband for two. You do the math. <laughs> Lyle, you don't have to. <laughs> It's eight years longer, Lyle. And so my darling husband in bed rolls over to hug me, and she bit him. And so my solution was keep your arms under the blanket. So there is this poor man under the blanket in his own bed trying to enjoy himself. So I talked to my sponsor, and she said, Lynn, she has to be in her own little bed. Well, this was not acceptable. And so we had to go to a family group therapy at Pet. <laughs> at Pet Smart. <laughs> and then when they saw how really, really sick we were, we needed a, a little doggy psychologist to come to our home. And she said, Lynn, would you just Interact with your little dog for a minute, and I saw. She said, "Oh, we have a problem." <laughs> and then uh, she said, "Okay, keep going." So, oh, we really have a problem. It's so bad. I have had a frozen arm for a year and a half now, and we couldn't figure out what it was until I hear Misty woof woof woof, and I pick her up right away. It's picking up Misty twenty, thirty times a day, every day for ten years. So my solution, I have another arm. And so after 30 days or so, had to put that little dog in her own little bed. And now she's back in bed. I said, honey, if you want to sleep with us, we need a bigger bed. I said that to my husband. And so we bought a bigger bed. And so he's way over there and we're over here. (laughs) And so I'm, I'm not sure how all this works, but somehow... Somewhere with this higher power and with you, and with the steps as difficult, as quirky, and as unreasonable as I can be, we work it out. We always work it out, and Misty wins. And so, they're having a few days together this weekend, and that's got to be something. And so, if you are new I beg you to please just give us a chance if you are a drinker like me there is nothing else left out there nothing it just gets worse and I'm always so grateful for those of you who go out who have the courage to come back and tell us it's true what they say in the big book. I never, ever want to go out there again, ever. I love my life with you, and you just make me so happy. And you're just so beautiful. And I love the way you look. I love your smiles. I love your hugs. I love the way you dress. Handsome, beautiful. I mean, what what a way to go. What a way to spend a life, single or married. <laughs> and I would like to leave you this morning with a prayer. My sobriety date June 22nd, 1982, is the most important piece of information to know about me. It's the day that you took me in. It's the day that the only good life I have ever known began. It's the day when I started this journey with this wondrous higher power. And I carry my sobriety date, not like a feather in my panache or a stone on a crown, but as a very, very special treasure in my heart. And my prayer for all of us is that we get to keep forever and ever the sobriety date that we have today. And I so thank you for mine. Go out and have a ball this weekend. Thank you. Yeah. Oh,
1: that is fun. Can you feel the love?